Welcome to the Agile Wire. Brought to you by Wisconsin Agility. We want you to get agile and stay agile. Now here are your hosts, Jeff Bubbles and Chad Byer. And we're recording. All right, Jeff, kick us off. All right. We have uh, Hergen Aplow uh, back on the podcast with us. Thank you for joining us again. Um, so for those that maybe didn't listen to the last episode or like, oh, how do I know him? Uh, Hergen created Management 3.0. Uh, had a lot, I don't know, That was probably the first part of your career, if I remember right. Like you spent a lot of time on that. And now has the OnFix model, which is a, well, it's a way for organizations to deliver value you know, that's more focused on customer value and um, it kind of maybe solves some of the problems that people have with scaling their organizations today. So we're going to dive into that and some different topics around that. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here. So thanks for the invite. Yeah. All right. So let's just talk about, you know, I don't know, probably the most popular, the most used agile scaling framework out there is safe, right? Skilled agile framework. What, um, what, what is it that I saw? It's 53% market share or something like that. So yeah, it's the biggie. Yeah, it's the big one. Yeah. So what's so tell our tell our listeners, like what's the difference between that and the onfix model and why should they care? Well, first of all, safe is a framework. It's in the name. <laughs> and the idea of a framework, according to the definition of a framework, is that it is a static structure that that enables you to um uh, put things in and swap in and out while the rigidness of this of the framework remains because it needs to keep everything together. That is a framework. Uh, that's the idea of a framework. So you need some things that are essential, that are mandatory. Otherwise, you cannot swap all the other things in and out. Mm -hmm. um, the unfixed model is not like that. It's not a framework because there is nothing mandatory. There's nothing that you must do. Everything is optional. So. The, the, the metaphor that I use is, is the Lego box. There's not a single Lego piece that you must use. Um, you have lots of options and you can start building and playing. And uh, the best description of that approach is a pattern library. Uh, every pattern is, is a choice, is an option, and you combine and mix and match uh, to your heart's content. So the approach is different. With a framework, you have something that you must have and people must be trained in at least the framework part because that part is essential. Uh, they literally call it essential safe at <laughs> the smallest part of, of the scale that your framework uh, that you need to have. And um, yeah, the unfixed model is, is, uh, is a pattern, pattern library. So I think this, this, you have me thinking already about something I, I think I read recently in one of your articles. Use an analogy of uh, back to what you said, like picking the patterns, picking the things that you prefer to use instead of a one size fits all approach. You use the example of, uh, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciations on both of these, but uh, La Crusade, which they make like really nice cast iron enameled um, cooking pots. I have one, I know. And then you also mentioned a knife manufacturer, which I'm not familiar with, but they were top of the line. You know, they specialize in knives. And I think your point was when somebody who takes cooking seriously in their kitchen, they don't necessarily go to for convenience, right? They don't go and buy 
the cheapest knife set that has everything, or they don't go to one store and buy one brand for their entire kitchen. A lot of times they'll, they'll mix and match really high quality pieces. And I, I think that you've mentioned that in, in reference to the unfixed model, like there's a lot of great agile patterns, techniques, uh, things to try that you don't necessarily feel the need to detail in the model. But back to the market share of safe, is that what makes it so popular? That it is, it's convenience. You buy one big package, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing for one over the other necessarily, but just kind of as a thought experiment here. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I do think that is alluring about a safe's a proposition uh, for management and, and others. It seems to offer um, uh, everything but the kitchen sink. Um, it's all in there, whether it's DevOps or team topologies or, or design thinking or lean UX, you name it. Some people <laughs> ridicule it for being like the Borg. Uh, you yep. will be assimilated at some point <laughs> by the scale that your framework. Um, I don't think it is the point of a tool set to be everything to everyone. Actually, there's a famous quote that says, if you try to do that, you end up being, end up being nothing to everyone. Um, it's like this gigantic uh, Swiss knife that is one meter long <laughs> that has 150 different little uh, tools on it and it is completely unusable because of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so indeed, I use the analogy of the chef. The chef might find their favorite pots of, uh, of indeed Le Creuset, which is a French brand and maybe the favorite knives of Wistoff, which is a German brand. and they mix and match, they use different tool sets. So my intention with the unfixed model is not to be complete. In, in fact, I, I don't believe you can be complete. I think you should try uh, to, to be good at what you're doing, to, to stake out a certain territory and say, here, I would like to be the best in this area. And we started with organization design. So how do we do organizational structure? Because I thought this was badly done in, in the existing Agile frameworks. So taking the pattern approach with a pattern library, we began with how can we offer people patterns that makes it easier for them to do organization design with structure. Doesn't mean that we, we stay limited to that with the tool set. Well, no, actually, we are extending now into other areas. But as I said to my team, we're only going to add things when we think we do better than others in this area. If not, we just refer to everyone else. Like, there is no process patterns uh, in, in the unfixed model for now. I, I happily refer to SAFE or Scrum or Kanban or whatever your favorite flavor um, because we have nothing on offer that is better than what others are doing. So by all means, go shopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. It, it reminds me of, so um, we're, we're pretty well-versed in less large-scale Scrum. And I've heard Craig and Boss say multiple times that as they're considering making changes to you know the less rules or the less guide, uh, it's they're almost always looking to remove something versus add. Like they don't want to have it become a bloated framework. They want to keep it as lean and and um, right. And the pun right is there for all of us to 
have a chuckle about like less, right? Less is more. Uh, and it really is. Yeah. Uh, it, and I think the unfixed model, I see the exact same similarities, right? It's, it's, it's stripped down to a point where it's minimal, like it, as minimal as you can get and right on that edge of, well, but, yes yeah, and no, <laughs> yes and no, I would okay. say. Um, actually, and that's the idea of a pattern uh, language and, and using uh, Lego as the metaphor, I, I, I actually really like that metaphor. Um, did you know there are nearly 4,000 different types of Lego bricks? Many people yeah. don't know that, but it's nearly 4,000. That's quite a lot. Yeah. So um, you cannot uh, say that that uh, Lego is simple from the perspective of the catalog that they have of the options available for building. However, Lego is very simple in its use. I mean, a child of three can can begin playing, but you don't offer them 4000 different types of Lego blocks, of course, because then the learning curve is a bit too steep. We want to have the same approach with the unfixed model. So the way we bring things to people, and, and I fully admit we have a learning curve ourselves there, and we need to improve how we offer things. We want to offer things in a simple way. So not too many patterns at the same time. And mm -hmm. we discuss with the team, we probably need to offer different people different subsets. Like HR will need a different starting point than coaches and consultants or marketing and sales or devops or whatever they need their own entry point into the lego box you, you can say um, but ultimately the entire box needs to be large because you need a lot of options in order to deal with the complexity of the world out there there's actually a systems law that that describes this, which is called the law of requisite variety. You need a requisite amount of variety or complexity to deal with the variety of, or complexity of the world outside. If you don't have enough pieces in your Lego box, you won't be able to build a dragon or, or a hospital or a tank, uh, whatever it is you want. So same with the unfixed model, you will need some pieces, even though some may be rare and could only be used by one out of a thousand people doesn't matter we're going to add them <laughs> so that doesn't make the catalog simple and sometimes we have been accused of yeah complicating things actually i got a message this morning who said to me the new roles it's it's too fanciful it's it's not essential and i said yeah um lego has lots of fanciful lego bricks <laughs> that only few people want but for a few people they are very useful in a very specific context so what we need to figure out is how are we going to present that stuff in a way that is manageable with people at the right level with the right learning curve etc and uh, that's a challenge for us as, as a team yeah. yeah you know when you think of legos like um you know you get you buy a box of legos and you get one instruction set of like here's the thing you can build right but like yeah. with the same pieces you could build something completely different so kind of having those different construction sets is a valuable thing and i think that maybe is one of the reasons why safe is so popular is it's like here's the whole thing and just follow this and put the pieces here and everybody has a spot we don't have to worry about anything and just follow the directions and it's easy but if you have different options then people are like well how do i know if i should do a or b or c or e or whatever or a combination of those and and yes. i think that's where people need help navigating that 
Yeah, and that honestly also makes it more difficult. Um, it is the more difficult answer. Um, uh, the framework offers the easy way out. They say mm -hmm. this is the feature that we're going to install, um, and we're going to uh, teach you with the certification how to implement this this framework. Um, and um, people have been asking us uh, how many organizations have already implemented the unfix model. The question itself almost doesn't make sense. It's like, how many people have implemented Lego? I mean, <laughs> which model are you talking about? I mean, yeah, the, uh, the individual pieces, the patterns are, are used by millions of organizations. Um, if you mean a very specific design with the pieces, nobody has done that. That's up to you <laughs> to combine them. And that is the more difficult message, but also I think the more honest one that there is work. On <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, on the side of the uh, of the managers and the coaches consultants. Yeah, I don't, I don't, almost don't want to say shuhari because it's so cliche, but it's an agile podcast, so why don't we just throw it in there? <laughs> it, it it makes me think of so years ago when Safe was kind of hitting the market. I remember having a conversation with some colleagues, and I. My prediction, I don't know, Jeff, I don't know if it was you even that I said this to, but my prediction was that safe was going to basically sort of become the next waterfall, meaning like a lot of companies were going to use it. They were going to find that it was changed theater, as I've heard you use that phrase before, and nothing really changes. And then eventually they'll eventually they hopefully maybe if if agility is important to them, they'll seek out something else. We've seen this play out now. Like, like we've had a long enough time frame, and I think many people in the community have. They've seen this play out. Not, I'm, I'm not knocking the companies that have had great success with it. Great, you did something. You, 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 you got success, whatever that means for you. But back to the Shuhari thing, I feel like if I'm, if I'm just somebody who wants to whip together some meals in the kitchen. Back to your, you know, your analogy of cooking. I might want to just go to the local target or, you know, convenience store and just buy some cheap stuff and that I can cook with, or maybe I'm just going to use the microwave and that's good enough for me. But if I'm serious about making a really awesome meal, I might want to go spend the extra money or take the extra time to select certain things that are going to make maybe the cooking experience better. And I would argue probably ultimately the, the end product better too, the food. Right? So I guess, I feel like it takes a, a level of chef, um, right? They're not at the shoe level probably. Uh, and this is probably why it's, again, maybe a harder, I don't know if sell is the right word, but just for somebody to comprehend, to really make unfix work amazing for them, it probably takes a little bit of a, more than a beginner understanding, right? I mean, cause we're talking about organizational structure and design here, which has everything to do with change uh, in my mind. So. I don't know. Th thoughts on that? Like, yeah, um, uh, I, I agree. And um, I don't want to be only negative about the scale that your framework. I mean, some people make it their hobby to attack it almost every day. Um, I sometimes join just for fun, but at, at least equally often I try to talk about the good things uh, yeah. that frameworks try to do. I mean, they create awareness. 
um, uh, they satisfy a need for some organizations. You, we can say the glass is half full, need, not, not half empty. Uh, so at least they get started <laughs> and then they figure out that they may need another approach, uh, which might be the unfixed model uh, uh, that they could choose uh, somewhere down the line. Um, we'll see. Um, and there are plenty of good ideas and good practices in there. It's just the framework concept that bothers me, the way it is all packaged and the way it is sold and also the, the business model behind it. Uh, because let's face it, uh, Scaled Agile earns their money uh, uh, um, uh, through workshops and certification. So they have this perverse incentive to make things as complicated as possible because the more people find it hard to understand, the more workshops they can sell. Uh, there is no incentive to simplify things uh, as, uh, as Boss Foda and Craig Larman have suggested for, for less. Um, and that's just one of the problems that, that, that I see. Another one that makes it very easy uh, for managers, at least, uh, to, to implement skilled agile framework is that there is this idea of the dual operating system that they borrowed from Cotter. Uh, uh, so they say, uh, you don't have to change anything in the organization, just add this as an extra layer, as the network layer on top of things. Um, and and that's just horrible, in my opinion, because you by default end up with a matrix organization uh, with managers anywhere. They could be on your own team. Uh, managers of, of, of people on one team could be on different sides of the organization, not even knowing each other. Um, and there's plenty of documentation uh, about the, the, the bad effects, the side effects of, of matrix organizations. I've talked about that quite a few times, that they invertibly, invariably uh, lead to, uh, to uh, uh, more centralized decision making because the middle managers are unable to agree with each other on simple escalated issues. And then they just refer upward <laughs> uh, anything that they cannot resolve because the middle managers don't know each other. So they don't trust each other, each other and then they uh, refer uh, stuff upwards. It's like they're like uncaught exceptions. Uh, we talked about uh, programming briefly, Chad. Uh, I still know that concept from my <laughs> old days. <laughs> catching, <laughs> catching the exceptions, um, and you don't want them to bubble up all the way uh, uh, and 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 blow your blow your uh, architecture apart. Um, and that, that's what happens with matrix organizations. So um, the unfix model tries to prevent people from creating matrix structures. That makes it a bit more difficult. We default to network organizations. Um, and uh, yeah, that makes it a bit harder to implement, but also the best way, yep. in, in my opinion. That's the way forward. We want networks, not, not uh, uh, matrices. Yeah. yeah. In a matrix, it seems like, you know, we just get to more and more control and we're trying to like push people in one direction where in the networks, it's like, it's more natural. It's just the way we work in communities. It's the way that we work outside of work. You know, when we're working, I don't know, think of different sports teams. I'm, I don't know, I'm just thinking of other networks that we're a part of where it's like everyone has their own team, but we were part of a bigger program or different other leagues or whatever it is. Like they'll figure it out. They'll figure out how they're going to play or how they're going to work. And there's many different approaches but when you give teams freedom, they they can innovate inside of that. I think with the matrix one, you steal all the freedom or that's what often happens. And then people get very frustrated, right? Because they don't have control. They get to disengage. They're not very motivated. 
But the opposite of that is also true, right? Like if you're a startup and you're trying to do everything and you have no boundaries, then it can be chaos. So there, there's a sweet spot in the middle. And I think that's really what you're trying to solve here with the unfix model, right? Is like, let's give just enough boundaries so that we all can have focus and we know where we're supposed to go. And, uh, you know, yep. we, can, we can deliver value to our customers. Yes. Um, uh, before COVID, I traveled around Europe and spoke with quite a few uh, of the scale-ups that we have here that, that we can be proud of in, in, in this part of the world. I mean, lots of famous companies are in Silicon Valley, but we have a few amazing businesses here. Think of Spotify and Wise and Zalando and, and others. Uh, very, very big. Um, so, uh, and, and I talk with, with uh, executives and, and coaches and so on. And uh, what I noticed is that very often, particularly in the scale-up years, you, you have these, these units uh, with an executive team, like a CEO, CTO, CIO, whatever, just three, four people, a product person or a marketing person, and the three or four of them, they manage the unit of 100, 150 people or something, and they they don't really have managers, a middle management layer, because they were not big enough for that yet. And that was actually a good thing because everything was so flexible. People could reorganize like at, at, the, at the snap of a finger, uh, depending on, on, on new opportunities or new risks, because you had no middle managers protecting their territories. And that's the problem that you end up with when you have middle managers protecting their teams or protecting their units, uh, then, um, yeah, you lost your flexibility, basically. So the idea with the unfixed model is that you only have what we call bases. Every base is a business unit, a tribe, whatever you want to call it. Um, Micro-enterprise, uh, some people say, we call it the base because the, the place where people feel at home is a sense of belonging. It should satisfy Dunbar's number of max 150, more or less. And that is the autonomous unit. And there should not be middle management in there. So just one governance crew that manages everyone, whether it is 20 people or 120, uh, and uh, and off they go, and they can be extremely fast and flexible. And then if you need more, then they should be next to each other, and then scale horizontally, just cut them, like W.L. Gore did uh, for a long time. They said to every unit, thou shalt not be bigger than 200 or something like that, and that worked very well for them. They just have to mm -hmm. split for exactly uh, the same the same reason, and that, that worked uh, worked out well so same idea uh, split horizontally scale out as as we say don't scale up and that's that's the tendency of managers of course they would love their unit to be bigger because that gives them status uh, uh, because they have 1,000 people that they manage instead of instead of uh, 100 uh, but that means when they scale up that they need to create layers in the middle and yeah we try to prevent that yeah, I go ahead, Jeff. You look like you were gonna. No, nope, you got add you, some. No, you so I, I I love it, right? I love the idea that I guess the focus on the the agility at the organizational level is what I'm most intrigued by, and that's that's with any you know. I think I've been known to say before as well, like organizations of the future are they have to be agile at the org level they need to be able to form and reform teams as needed to face what's ever in front of them and i think back to the framework con conversation we were coming from 
when we plan change, right? Uh, and, and I guess back to the picking on other frameworks, it's not necessarily, as an organization, you can choose the decision makers, right? However you're structured, you can choose to do whatever you want. And you have to accept the consequences of that. Just like individuals in, in life, we make decisions, we deal with the consequences. What pains me, I guess, is to see companies in our area, companies around the world, make those decisions to pay for a large agile transformation with a big company, let's say, or go through this large safe transformation, right? But anytime the word adoption or transformation is in the phrase, I usually am a little turned off by it, right? Because it implies that we're going, like there's this end state and there isn't. What we really need is more like models to follow so we can really have true agility. And the reason I guess we maybe we pick on other things is it's kind of out of this empathy for the people involved. Like one, it's painful for the people involved. And two, it is so expensive. Like the millions, if not tens of millions of dollars that just Jeff and I as two people have seen companies spend on transformations, adoptions that a few years later, nothing's changed. It's they have to revert back. They're, they're on to the next thing. So I don't know thoughts on either one of you, I guess I just, it pains me to see the amount of wasted money in our industry. No, that doesn't pay me at all. Uh, to be honest. Uh, no, some people earn a good living, uh, with where, with where the money goes and uh, those companies will die at some point and well, goodbye, good riddance. As far as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, survival is an option. <laughs> Uh, if you don't learn how to turn into a network, uh, you 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 sign your own <laughs> uh, death uh, death warrant basically. Um, and some companies do it pretty well, and others, uh, well, hopefully hopefully they will learn for them. Um, I have a good friend uh, who said, "I want to help companies die, <laughs> basically for exactly that reason: creative destruction. Let's get rid of the dinosaurs." <laughs> So no, I I don't I don't mind companies wasting their money if if that quickens their way to the exit door. <laughs> it's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> it. Allows it allows new companies to emerge and it, it opens the playing field for 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 younger ones. Yeah, I'm surprised by the the slowness of the death of some of these companies though, because I I will say like a lot of us have been saying that like well they'll they won't survive, and yet. You know, maybe it's the industry they're in. Uh, I know a lot of insurance industry companies, they they think they don't have a lot of money, but they have so much money that they can afford to be that wasteful, right? So it's yeah. it's shocking how much money can get allocated to just, you know, yeah. lost That's causes. True. Yeah. All right. Maybe I won't maybe I won't uh, worry about it so much. Just help help companies die faster. Here. I would only worry if if you are a consumer or a customer and forced yeah. to deal with such organizations. Like yeah, I, there you I go. To deal with a credit card company. I will not name them. Uh, but just two years ago, I I quit because I I needed a I needed an overview of my transactions of the last year. And literally, they told me to wait twenty four hours for the PDF to become available. And I was like, what? I mean, does someone have to run physically into the <laughs> seller to to generate the data? I mean, 
with every other bank, I can get, I can just download a CSV file on the spot. I mean, and import that in my bookkeeping pro. Why do I have to wait for a PDF? I mean, what am I going to do with a PDF? I just type all the transactions <laughs> into, <laughs> into my other system. I have to use OCR to scan the text from the PDF. Why? Why do you give me a PDF? I want the transactions and not tomorrow after 24 hours. <laughs> So yeah, that was a dinosaur and I walked away. I mean, I have that power as a consumer, as a customer. Yeah. I said, goodbye, good riddance. There are other banks and, and, and credit cards out there who do a better job. So uh, that's what we need to do as uh, powerful customers, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you think about like, the sources of innovation for some of these companies, right? Like, I mean, they all, do you solve a problem, right? That's why an organization exists. Okay, so you do that thing. Um, like, how do you sell it? That could be one way that you could differentiate yourself, right? Like your business model, right? That could be one. Your product, like what your actual product does and how it functions, that could be one thing. But like how you build it is another source of innovation. And I think like so many organizations just take that as like, yeah, let's just do, you know, I was part of organizations over here. They, they organize like this in this hierarchy with this matrix organization. Let's just do that. Like, it's just like, don't even think about it and like just plug and play what I've seen done in the past. But we're always thinking from a product standpoint, like how do we innovate? How do we find better ways? But we never think about that from an organization standpoint. And I think that is a huge source for innovation into the future for companies that aren't even thinking about that right now. I, I agree. There are different ways of, of, of looking at how to, uh, how to, yeah. A catch the next wave, basically, and uh, how to rethink from scratch. I, I, I like, uh, for example, the things that Joe Justice has shared about his experiences at, at Tesla, yeah. where he says that at, at Tesla, the factory is the product. Uh, that's that's how they look at it. It's not the cars that are the product. No, it's the factory pumping out the car. That is the product that they continuously improve. That's a completely different way of thinking once you consider that that is the complex system that they are growing uh, instead of creating a predictable uh, uh, fast pipeline of, of output of cars. Yeah. Um, so one that's one example. Another is the whole um, uh, change. Maybe we can talk about that from, from product to experience, which is one of my mm -hmm. favorite topics. Uh, actually, we made a step from project to product uh, uh, with the Agile community and some are still working on that. And I think the next step is, is moving to experience. I, I don't care about your product as a customer. I always say, I care about my experience. What does it do for me, your product? And I have plenty of times been disappointed with organizations that offer me uh, touch points across multiple things that they offer, whether it is a website or a mobile app or a physical store or, or whatever, uh, where individual products or services or whatever uh, would uh, were agile enough, but the entire customer journey still sucked. Um, and that means you have to step out of the product thinking and move towards what is the experience from a more holistic uh, uh, angle. What is it that that the customer notices when traveling across everything we do as an organization? That's that also requires a different kind of kind of thinking. Well, we're not there yet with lots of things we're doing in the agile community, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like the the shift in the topic. Um, the experience makes me think of companies like again. I get. 
I have like pain in my heart when there's a product that I love so much. And I, I can't think of an example right now off the top of my head, but then the first time I have to interact with like customer service, it's such a terrible experience that I'm left with this dilemma. Like, do I walk away based on this experience or maybe it's a recurring experience or is the product so good that I won't and I'll live with it right now, if the product is mediocre and the customer experience is bad, then I'm probably already walking away. Right. But it's, it is, th there is so much to how, you know, cause the, the experience the product usually solves a problem, right? The product or service usually solves a problem. Like some mm -hmm. pain is relieved, some joy is brought, some something, some solution is provided for your business, for your life. But if the experience around that, whether it's buying, selling, supporting it, is really bad, I feel like that that's so much more emotional too than just the product solving the problem. And so I, I mean, I obviously companies know this, we talk all the time about customer experience and the journey. And, um, but I do think we don't use that word as much as we do product still today. True. Uh, we have product backlogs, product owners, product managers, product roadmaps, and so on. Uh, very few times do I hear the word experience. Um, and uh, what you mentioned is indeed one thing that something could be a bad experience, like two hours ago, Again, and this is one of my pet peeves, I spent 10 minutes logging into several tools to dig into the admin side to fetch my um, invoices of several SaaS platforms, some of which I literally myself had to print as PDFs, which then I had to send to my accountant. Um, why don't they just email them to me? I mean, that, that saves me so much time. And I, I use dozens of these tools each month, and half of them send me the PDFs, and others let me dig for it for them myself. That's a bad experience. Uh, so that's an annoyance. But that's that's one thing that is that is bad experiences with how products are offered. What we often forget is the psychology of experience. Um, the 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 agile community often mistakenly thinks that delivering things faster and flawlessly makes for a better experience. Well, guess what? That's not true. Um, there is actually science confirming that it is better to have a slightly imperfect product with great customer service because if there is a problem with a product and you nail it with uh, your customer service, uh, um, uh, helping the customer get over the issue, they appreciate you more after that than before the problem uh, popped up. So interestingly, you want problems to, <laughs> to come up. You just need a very good customer service. Uh, dealing with those issues and helping customers along. And then they will love you for it because they have this personal interaction. And then uh, the holistic uh, angle is uh, is served because they, they, they had various touch points and they love the product, the product more. And also, uh, and there's another thing, um, uh, just offering things faster and more often doesn't always mean that you have a better experience. Look at the entertainment industry. They're now switching back with streaming platforms from uh, offering whole series uh, in, in, in one go to offering individual episodes as they did when I was young. 
when we were watching TV and we had to wait a whole week to, for the next episode of, of Knight Rider or the A-Team or whatever it was that I was watching at the time. And that was exciting <laughs> because it was anticipation that we, we were looking forward to that moment that the new episode would be there. And they're reclaiming that. And the actual reason is revenue, because, of course, they want to spread out the revenue of the subscriptions over a longer time. But the side effect, and I'm sure they think about that as well, is increased anticipation. We like looking forward to the next thing. And, yeah, I wrote about that with an article about how Spotify has completely destroyed my music experience, um, tongue-in-cheek, um, because... Um, I can play any song instantly on Spotify and I'm like, meh, whatever. Uh, I'm a big lover of ABBA. Well, they released a new album a year ago and I still haven't listened to it because there's just so much. It's just, it's just overwhelming. Where do I even begin? And what I'm actually doing when I work on my music collection. I am I am digging into YouTube music to find some rare 12 inch um, uh, uh, <laughs> um, songs or 12, 12 inch recordings of, of 80s music that I never heard of before. And I'm like, another one. <laughs> and that and that's and that's that's experience too. A, a Spotify doesn't doesn't give me that in, 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 in the same way. And, um, and then I don't care about everything that I can just play instantly. I want that experience of something that I, that I find that is rare, that I can look forward to or whatever. We need to think about that part too, the psychology of what is it to consume a product or, or a service. It's not just giving everything that people ask for faster. Yeah, I think that there's that we talked about networks a little earlier in the episode, but there's also a network effect to that, right? With the anticipation, you have conversations with your friends, your family about whatever it is, the product, and then you it, that marketing kind of happens and then there's more anticipation that builds and then you don't want to miss out. So I feel like that's a really positive thing that if you just like, hey, here's everything, just have it, eh, listen to the next thing, you know, you move on, you don't even talk about it, don't think about it, you don't appreciate it. Um, and and so, you you devalue the product actually you you make it less valuable because the more there is the less people value each individual thing like is this there's billions of of songs there and each of them has minute uh, value to me I I like the the long play albums that I have over there over there, these are these are my long play albums from when I was young <laughs> I value those more because I bought them I had to cycle half an hour from my village to the city center and 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 hope and pray that they were there the things that i wanted to get and then i found one like oh wow that's amazing i have it and that's that's experience um and and we lost that by making everything available instantly yeah there's there is so much value to, to scarcity right um in all in all aspects but yeah, making yeah. it's kind of that less is more again right and and i i feel the same way about spotify like i try to convey to my children how amazing they have it and they just can't you know like just you know when you had to just wait and pay so much money for music and now it's just like you literally like I shouldn't even say this out. Well, whatever people could say this spotify will eventually raise their prices but how great of a deal is it 
like what you pay per month to have access to so and it's not a good deal for the artists right i mean that's the sad part of it but it's just it's amazing how much music is at our fingertips and again back to the streaming whether it's netflix hbo disney like there's so much content that we're overwhelmed and you can hardly squeeze you know you can't decide right there's just so much yeah Um, yeah no you have it's a good point the scarcity is is where the value is and this this has shifted in products and services that which is scarce is is valuable and because of the instant downloads of music and tv shows or whatever um the value of each individual episode has become has become uh, nearly nearly nil um but other things are valuable like uh, um artists um, now make lots of money with with uh, concerts i mean Mm -hmm. that is scarce i mean they can sell only a certain amount of seats that means the scarcity is now there not in the 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 the, the obtaining the song which is anyone anyone can do so it has moved to another part of the experience which is seeing that that person or that band live Uh, so that also means that's the same in, in software development. We have when when we are we get better or we have gotten better at delivering things faster and faster, uh, to the point where the software has become uh, uh, the value has become nil basically. Uh, so what else can we offer that people place value on? What part of the experience is 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 rare and, and scarce that people are happy to pay for? Um, and that is something that you that you need to think about. Yeah, I I love it. I mean, I I recently attended a com- concert where, and again, it's it's taking something away to make the experience more scarce. Combining our experience conversation earlier, uh, a, a concert I went to, they they lock your phone away at the beginning, and it was magical. Like it was what I remember as a kid going to con- concerts. Like there's no distractions you're there you're and and it changed the entire concert i've been to concerts since then where you still can have your phone out and i'm i'm so i almost don't even want to go to concerts anymore where where phones are allowed because it just it's a terrible experience and again it's not that scarce because then who's going to record it right the next day you can go online and you'll see all these these cell phone videos not that they're high quality audio but it's just it is. I think the more you can take away from something from a product, right? Whether you have feature bloat, you've you've built way too many features. Uh, you know, you've used the Borg reference. I don't know how many listeners caught the Borg reference earlier. That's Star Trek Next Generation, right? <laughs> yeah. And that, and you've also worked in Knight Rider, A Team, uh, Abba. You've got <laughs> you some really guess. good. You, you can really, guess how old I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got some great references in here. You're speaking my language, um, but you know, some of the frameworks, they're bloated. They're like the board. There's way too many options. And so you're overwhelmed and then maybe you don't implement them very well. Maybe your experience isn't bad. So I guess maybe I'm shifting this into analogy and a plug for unfix, but it is, it, there's not as much to it. And I think that makes it impactful, right? Because even the experience of trying to apply it in your organization, there's less things to choose from, right? I, I mean, I have a diagram of right now, like governance crew, partnership crew, facilitation crew, experience crew, capability crew. Like on one on one slide here, I can see most of it, which you can't in some other frameworks. You've got to click and drill down. And I know you can do the same here, but it's, 
I think there really is. I, I like this conversation. You can tell when my voice gets loud, it means I'm getting excited. About, <laughs> but I, I, I love this conversation because it, it is. I love the idea of scarcity, amplifying scarcity, thinking about unique, creative ways to use that to create better experiences for customers. And ultimately, I think that's better for the company. If that's better business, it's going to impact your bottom line. Well, um, and, and I love thinking about these things. So indeed, um, you mentioned the unfixed model and what we have available, a lot of it you can download for free. We, we offer cards for playing the, the PDFs are available for free for the community. So that's literally uh, zero uh, uh, value that, that we can, can, can charge for. Uh, and, uh, we need to think about, okay, what is it is that, that is scarce that, that well, people are uh, happy to pay for? Well, an obvious one is, is, uh, my personal time, of course, <laughs> that is scarce. Um, but there's a limited supply of that, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, but, um, we can come up with other creative things. Like I, I discussed with the team a, a while ago, why not every now and then publish a deck of cards that is like the Christmas edition or something like that, just for the mm -hmm. few people, uh, who like that kind of stuff, or we, we can. Offer, let them offer their own designs, uh, designs, and and we print uh, someone specific designs for uh, the crew types cards, or the or the human drives cards, or whatever, uh, in a limited uh, uh, limited amount. Uh, so that you intentionally make something scarce, and then it's a great experience for that person or a couple of people, and that they uh, might be to pay for. This is one thought. Yeah, uh, there are others, but. Yeah, um, scarcity is is one thing, and but as I said, there are, there are different angles on experience. Um, it is also not making something perfect because a slight blemish can actually make a product better, uh, psychologically speaking, than a, a perfect uh, product. And uh, there's there's other other parts of of uh, the human psyche that we need to uh, understand as as experience owners and product owners don't really think about these things at least mm -hmm. in my experience they are taught that the agile manifesto, manifesto says uh, we should deliver things as fast as possible <laughs> Uh, because that was indeed the bad experience that customers at the time in 2001 had. They had to wait long for releases to the updates of their software. And then um, when one uh, release happened, then next week there came a bug fix release on a separate CD, <laughs> where it was <laughs> extremely annoying. And yeah, that was a big problem to solve. That was the biggest frustration in the experience of customers at the time, but we fixed that. Uh, uh, so there are other challenges from the customer's experience uh, point of view. Yeah, I can see someone sitting here listening to us being like, all right, I, I, I hear what you're saying, maybe some good points, but you know, you've always said, Chad and Jeff, like we say this all the time, like we need to move from more of an analysis mindset to a feedback mindset, like learn through doing and what people actually do because you you think you know what your customer will want or their experience how their experience will be but until you actually put them through it you, you don't know right you don't know how they're going to behave uh they behave in funny ways all the time and so one thing we could do with the scarcity thing like i i still think this is a great thing like you could have a tier inside of your product that's like hey come be our beta user we're going to release every week here you get all the new stuff first but only 100 people get this and you pay a certain premium for them, or whatever the number is you know 
your product, your mileage will, be, will vary. But like that could be introducing scarcity with still learning to your customers um, and what's going to work and then getting feedback and still not, you know, overproducing features and things like that. So I think there's a way to combine all the stuff that we're talking about. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you're talking, you're asking me, uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Are you, either one, either one. What are your thoughts? Like, yeah, like don't, don't, yeah. So no, I, I, I'm all about it. I mean, like back to, you know, we're all business owners, right? Um, even in the, the product owner courses that Jeff and I teach, like we're always talking about this, like, um, and I think the balance is to not make something gimmicky, uh, not make it, you know, not not manufacture scarcity, which is, you know, it's a fine line. Um, but when you can find those opportunities, I think it does back to the experience. It makes for a better customer experience. Like you're, yeah, you're, we're going to give you something, right. But we need something in return. And I think as long as the experience for both the creator of that value and the consumer of that value is there, I think that's a win-win. I mean, and I think that's what product owners, you know, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of agile stuff out there where there's some confused product owners. There's, there's very poor implementations of pick your thing, scrum Kanban. But I, I also know there are a lot of solid, um, thinkers in that space as well. And product owners really nailing it. Right. So I think like we talk about in our courses, it's all on a spectrum. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of, a lot of painful implementations out there that prevent that. But I, I, I don't know. I like the idea of, of this, any unique way to create scarcity that's not manipulative. That's yeah. maybe how I sleep at night. And, um, and as I said, it's, it's not only scarcity. I, I offer 24 human drives as part of the unfixed model as a, a thinking tool to reflect on, on what is important for customers from their experience. And I think for, for learning, uh, I don't look at the agile community anymore. I look at the jobs to be done in the community. I look at service design and design thinking and human centered design and so on, because they know what, what we are talking about. They dig this. Um, and I actually had to rewrite the standard definition of value stream that we continuously use in the Agile community because the standard definition says that uh, uh, the value stream is, is uh, this, this process from a request of a customer uh, delivering value. Well, the story starts wrong there. Then there shouldn't be a request. You should observe a signal the signal that there's something for you to do, an opportunity to deliver value. You don't, you're not going to wait for someone's request because then you might already be too late. The design thinkers and, 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 and practitioners in jobs to be done movement, they don't, they don't wait for requests. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they look what, what is what is the context in which a customer has a problem or which there is an opportunity, how can you detect this? What is the signal? And what then is your response so that you can move in and, and offer uh, your, your value? They might not even have realized that they have a problem. They, they might not even ask it. So why are we even talking about requests? And why are we talking about delivery only? Because that's the standard definitions of value stream talk about delivery. Um, 
there's plenty of discovery to do. <laughs> um, which signal is the best one? What is the problem? What kind of solution? And so on. And again, design thinkers and and so on are 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 quite um, skilled in that in that area. Yeah. And we're just catching on, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> in the in the agile community because the the focus has been for good reasons, relentlessly on, on delivering software based on customers who came in with a problem and requested yeah. a, 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 a solution to their problem. Yes, that's, that's where we came from. Um, but if we want to do better, if indeed we want to reinvent how we make things, then we have to get rid of that standard def definition and, and move on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's an agree. interesting thought, you know, like think about like where we came from. I'm just going to pull on that thread just a little bit. Like it used to be take something that was like a manual paper process, whatever, we're doing something and let's just make it digital and that'll just make it more effective because look out, we have reporting, we have auditing, we have, we can move data around, we can do all these other really cool things, you know, just because we made it digital. And now it's like, that's easy. Everything's digital. Like now what what's going to provide better experience for everybody is is really a better conversation. And so just living in that, like, we're just going to make everything digital. Like that's just so status quo, I guess. I don't know. Like, so just that's, that's just what everything is. So I don't know. How do we move past that? That, that'd be a good question for people to reflect on. Um, all right. I don't know. We've been recording for a while here. Um, so I think maybe just pivoting to one quick thing. Like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking I'm a listener and looking at this conversation. I'm like, all right, you got me really interested here to hear you're going to this unfixed model. And, uh, but I don't know where to start. Like, how do I get going with this? Like, what what, should, what do you recommend that I look into first? Unfix.com um, is a good starting point. I think uh, we're actually starting uh, on a complete rebuild of the website. So things will look different a uh, couple of weeks, couple of months down the line. Um, but um, yeah, the some patterns are obvious. Uh, the base, the value stream crew, uh, the governance crew, I think many people uh, will quickly end up with with uh, these patterns as a starting point. That's why they're also by default in the start, the, 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 the default picture, the start starting point. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff. Um, we just released yesterday uh, the, the MVP version of, of common roles, uh, for example. So what we did with our team is we looked at uh, the Spotify model and Scrum and Holacracy and others, because they all have different suggestions for what are roles. Uh, and uh, if we added all the suggestions together, plus a number that we came up with ourselves from our own experience, we ended up with 16 different roles. So, all right, that's 16 Lego blocks that we can add to uh, to the um, uh, to the box. Uh, most people will not use all 16. Actually, some people might not use any of them, and that's perfectly fine. Everything is optional. But having this larger palette uh, at least allows you the the, the 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 opportunity to have a discussion with with people and think, okay, um, which of these makes sense on our team? Do we need uh, do we need an envoy? That is the the what they call the the rep link in holacracy which i find a horrible term that's the the representative of the or the ambassador of one team 
representing uh, one person representing a team on another team. That's that's an interesting practice that creates a link between those between those teams. So it's a good suggestion. I just don't like the name rep link. Who wants to be a rep link? <laughs> uh, so we call that the envoy uh, pattern. Um, and um, Spotify model came up with the system owner. Um, that if you have everyone touching everything which you have with collective code ownership, uh, you might get the tragedy of the common situation and uh, a vicious circle of, of uh, things running down uh, if, if not everyone uh, practices uh, the Boy Scout rule of uh, leave things a little bit tidier than how you found it. <laughs> Uh, so someone, uh, this is a good suggestion, someone should monitor the Boy Scout rule <laughs> that it is being applied uh, in a certain area. You call that person a system owner. Well, we turn that into the, the custodian pattern, someone who is the caretaker of a certain area and make sure that nobody screws things up. <laughs> um, everyone can touch it, but don't leave a mess. I will be watching you. Um, and, and that's also a good pattern, but there are 14 others that we found. Um, I leave it up to you um, to, to dig in because we have quite a few other sets of patterns and more will, will appear. I don't know, maybe in, in 50 years time, we will have 4,000 uh, just like Lego. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but most of them will be quite exotic. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have uh, we have only a hundred or so right now, and that's uh, that's a good uh, good start. Yeah, another another day and another podcast, but maybe there's an opportunity for AI to help help with implementation of things like this, right? Like, actually, here, here's my problems. Actually, yeah, Tell me which patterns that, to use. Indeed, that is on my mind. So thank you for for. Uh, saying that, uh, Chad, uh, that is my ideal, that we have patterns and we have described this one goes well with that one. If yeah. you have this one, I recommend not using that one. If we have that input, hopefully from the community, because we cannot make all this up, um, but it would, yeah. great, would be great to have that, those suggestions from the community. Then at some point, an AI would be able to say, well, um, if you prompt it with, uh, this is the kind of problem we need to solve with this number of people, and this is the kind of people that I have, what way of working do you suggest? What would be the organizational structure that you have in mind? And, and what are the processes that you think we should try out? And then it would dig into the unfixed model, I hope, <laughs> and <laughs> offer, you, offer you the patterns that make sense in that context. That would be awesome. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Um, Jeff, you're better at wrapping up than I yeah, am. Yeah, so, uh, you know, check Jurgen's workout at theunfixedmodel.com. Um, his books. Unfixed.com. <laughs> Unfix.com, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, his books, Management 3.0. Uh, you can also just look it up, look them up on uh, a spot or on uh, Amazon. Look for all the all this all this stuff. Um, we'll put some links in the show notes, so check those out. And uh, thanks, thanks for the time today. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, uh, Chad. It was a pleasure. If you found value in today's episode, share this with a friend. Until next time. Get agile and stay agile.